This program features interviews with respected healthcare industry experts on current topics of substantial national importance. Your host for the program is David Intricasso, a DC-based healthcare policy analyst and researcher. We invite you to comment on the program by visiting thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Now, here's David. Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. I'm the host, David Intracasso. During this podcast, I'll discuss with Mr. Randy Ostra, President and CEO of ProMedica, an Ohio-based nonprofit healthcare system, efforts to create a congressionally mandated National Health Care Reform Commission. Mr. Ostra, welcome to the program. Thank you, David. Great to be with you. Mr. Ostra's bio is, of course, posted on the podcast website. On background, the current public health emergency brings into stark relief U.S. health care's ineffectiveness. As I've noted previously, with 4.25% of the world's population, the U.S. currently accounts for 26% of worldwide COVID-19 infections and deaths. Black American COVID deaths and hospitalizations are respectively 2.5 and 4 times greater than American whites. Concerning our response to date, Harvard's widely cited global health professor, Ashish Jha, was quoted yesterday stating, we may end up being the worst of any country in the world in terms of our response. Despite outspending all other OECD countries two to one, currently at four trillion annually, the effect of the pandemic is having should not be altogether unexpected. In the first major attempt to rank healthcare performance in 2000, the World Health Organization listed U.S. healthcare 37th in the world, immediately after the Czech Republic and Jamaica. More recently, a 2017 Commonwealth Fund ranked U.S. healthcare's performance last among 11 comparatively wealthy countries. With a current projected death toll over 200,000 by October 1, the question begged is what will federal policymakers learn from this experience? More specifically, what will they do to reform how healthcare is defined, delivered, and financed? With me again to discuss efforts to create a congressionally mandated National Healthcare Reform Commission is ProMedica's CEO, Randy Ostra. For purposes of full disclosure, I've been working with ProMedica in advocating before the Congress on this issue. So to begin, Randy, let me ask you if you could provide a brief overview of ProMedica. Sure. Uh, you know, ProMedica um, was a traditional integrated delivery system, regional in integrated delivery system. We had hospitals uh, employed doctors, had an insurance company. And then, uh, so we were at several billion dollars in revenue, primarily Northwest Ohio, Southeast Michigan. And then about 10 years ago, um, through um, a variety of, of interactions, um, became uh, very focused on, uh, you know, hunger as a health issue, food insecurity, that really led us into spending a decade focused on the social determinants of health, and a lot of experience, a lot of stories we could tell as we talked to organizations around the country that have done that work forever. And we were probably the first health system they ever talked to. And they said, you know, what in the heck are you doing here? And then the next question was, where in the heck have you been? And really, it's been quite a journey. And then over two years ago, um, we purchased the, one of the largest, for-profit senior companies in the United States called HCR Matter Care. And um, so today we would call ourselves a health and well-being company. Um, we're around, 
you know, just in broad terms, a $7 billion organization. We, we work in 28 states. And really the whole idea is about that. How do you integrate the things we do clinically with the things that we need to address from a social economic standpoint? You already referenced some of that with COVID. And then how does that translate into healthy aging and all the things that go with it, some of the inequities in healthcare, some of the inequities in treatments. And so as we step back from it and we look at the model uh, in healthcare and, and realize that we're on a really wrong path, we really kind of, as an organization, try to embark on a new path, and that's this health and well-being focus. Okay, thank you. Let's go specific to uh, a national commission. So let me begin with the substantive question, and that is, in your experience, what would you say are the three or so overriding structural problems or challenges confronting healthcare delivery and financing today? Yeah, you know, I think it's actually a, a, a U.S. question as well. And, you know, the American healthcare model is a mess. Um, I think, you know, that's real clear. And I think when you look at the statistics, you don't have to go too far, whether it's, you know, the fact that we're headed toward 19% of the gross domestic product by uh, 2025, the statistics that you, uh, you know, already cited from the OECD, how we rank in the world. When you look at one-third of Americans saying that, you know, they can't access care because of costs, um, it's a major issue in their lives. It's one of the biggest concerns. And then you maybe saw the Gallup poll that said one in 10 Americans said they'd known someone that died prematurely that they couldn't access care. And then all the things that you talked about, life expectancy differences, more preventable deaths, um, you know, the um, uh, life expectancy as we look across the country is just unbelievable that, that that exists in America. The inequities piece, the waste piece, and when you look at all that, the, the problems are real clear. It's we've got a broken model. And it really starts with this idea that we have to change the model. Um, you know, when you begin to look at this trajectory of healthcare, we're going to be at 19% of the gross domestic product. We're going to be over 20%. And yet we sit in an industry that accounts for over half of America's bankruptcies and statistics that don't jive. And yet the next breath talk about how we got the greatest healthcare system in the world. And it really makes no sense. So it really, you know, comes down to this idea that we need to create a new path forward. And we need to create a model that works for people and one that is not as hospital-centric as it is today. And that starts with this idea of a national commission on health. And it really gets to addressing the things that we've not addressed um, completely. One is a focus on the social determinants of health, which is still, even though there's been some progress in our country, it's little and, and not near enough. Um, an investment in senior care, which is a travesty in this country, the fact that we have reimbursed re literally for the, you know, um, like a cheap budget hotel, and yet we expect these, this, you know, um, pristine sort of service for it. And then as we've seen with COVID, this complete lack of investment in public health. And a lot of that really comes down to one of a couple things. Either we put more money into health care, we raise taxes, um, and we, we put a lot more money in it, or we have to step back, think about a new model, put a new model forward that we're going to start to move toward in the next decade or two, and reallocate how we spend our money in this country. Uh, that would be a very difficult thing, and I think what we've been talking about, and we 
chatted with you at length about it, is this idea that you need a commission, of, a national commission, that's really going to kind of put, you know, the, the, put all the egos and, and all the um, biases at the door and really just kind of look at what is the right model. Because for all the things you just mentioned, the fact that this is really the impact on people's lives, um, we, should all, we should all be ashamed of that. Okay, thank you again. Let me just uh, drill down on two aspects of this. In my intro, I specifically or purposely said, uh, what will policymakers do relative to how healthcare is defined? Your organization is increasingly incorporating social determinants. Could you say a bit more? You, you noted, uh, I know previously that, uh, Prometica screens for 10 social determinants of health. Can you say, more about that. Sure. We started uh, 10 years ago, and again, started with food insecurity. We actually got interested in obesity. That led us um, to realize that much of our, our obesity problems are tied to hunger and the, uh, the uh, lack of availability of, of quality food. And this fact that hunger is a major health issue in our country starts with healthy moms and healthy babies. And if, if we don't have healthy food, and we choose to make food a, a, a welfare discussion in our country instead of thinking it as a major medical issue. And, and what we began to do is screen for food insecurity. And I think over our last decade, um, we're in the millions, of, I think north of uh, 3 million food screens that we've done. So what we've uh, done to, to look at that is we screen for food insecurity. We provide short-term food needs and physician practices. Uh, in our hospitals, um, we have clinics that we uh, doctors can write scripts to, where people can go to see a dietitian to think about, um, um, you know, um, the right recipes for their for their economics and what they can afford, and also for their health conditions. Uh, we have urban farms. We built an inner city grocery store, all because we've seen that hunger is a major health issue. It's also led us to provide short-term food needs for our employees. And this idea that, again, you walk into a doctor's office and we don't ask you anything about these social economic factors in your life. So if you fast forward, there are 10 social factors that we ask for. And it's all the sort of things, again, if these aren't present in your life, if you don't have adequate housing, if you don't have utilities, if you can't afford care, if you're struggling with employment, if you're struggling with mental health issues, if you're a victim of domestic violence, if you live in an insecure, you know, an area that has lack of security, if you don't have childcare, all those sort of things are, are hugely impactful on people's lives. And what we find is that has a lot more impact on a person's individual health and well-being than anything we do in healthcare. So 20% of our lives are really um, the result of clinical care, but 40% is social determinants. And again, We've decided to spend 19% on the way to 19, 20% of our GDP on the clinical care, and we vastly, you know, don't spend on these social determinants of health. And what we've seen, of course, with COVID is why do certain racial and ethnic minorities have higher instances of COVID? We all of a sudden hear people saying, well, it's related, related to these factors of shock, shock. And, uh, you know, oh, by the way, we need to do something about it. And I think people that have been in that world have known we've needed to do something about that for a long, long time. The problem is we just, you know, we have, um, as the model has evolved in this country, we're just way too hospital-centric. 
Okay, thank you. I did want to ask also, too, about long-term care. And I'll reference, you gave a TEDx talk uh, last week, I believe it was a week ago today. And you, you noted, and um, I was, I was su- both surprised and pleased uh, when you noted that we don't truly invest in senior care and that um, we re- reimburse for senior care less than we spend on a uh, budget hotel. And you said further, we think about, we think we care for seniors, but we don't. So this obviously uh, is an important issue to you appropriately. What more can you say about how we could do better in addressing long-term care? So we were like uh, most healthcare providers in the country. We did not pay attention to senior care for the last couple of years. Um, we, um, A, the economics weren't good. We couldn't make a good margin on it, so we didn't mess with it. Uh, when people got religion about senior care, it's when we got penalized for readmission. All of a sudden, we worried about where patients went after they left our walls. And I think it's just kind of sadly how healthcare has evolved. Not, not that it's anybody's fault, but that's just the way the model evolved. We didn't care about people once you left our walls. And so now you think, look at senior care, and you look at the numbers and the demographics and just the tremendous increases we're going to see in seniors over the next few years, and then begin to think about how we care for seniors. So first off, we got a, a problem with ageism and how we uh, perceive and we think about the uh, people as they age. And it's just a lack of respect. I think you can see that even in the media coverage relative to COVID. You know, we see heroic caregivers in hospitals, and then we switch to a nursing home and we see body bags. Um, you know, they have a reimbursement problem. They have an image problem. We, we highly, highly, highly regulate um, the prop, you know, the issues in, in skilled nursing facilities. And yet, when we look at the results in hospitals, whether it's the people who die from medical errors or infections, it's really not that all, all that different. And so I think it's clearly a disrespect for seniors in America. And then we've reimbursed at such a low rate, and then it made them the punching bag of media, government officials, uh, plaintiffs' lawyers. And really, we created an industry, and then we, we criticize and we overregulate them. And you've probably seen some of the headlines that, that have come out. I mean, I hate to use the word hypocrisy, but that's what it is. We, we act like we care, but we really don't. If we cared, we would reimburse that industry at a right rate. Uh, we would hold people accountable for safety and quality, and we just haven't done that. And even now, I think in certain states, we prioritize the prisons over we over nursing homes, and we've seen that in, in more than one state. And again, I think it just, just reflects kind of this, this kind of crazy model that we have and that, again, we're investing in a lot of things in healthcare, and we talk about the somewhere between 500 to a billion dollars um, in waste every year, and, and the amount of waste in healthcare. Just think about if we can use that for for adequate senior care in our country. And the, the other part, I think we love to lump seniors together. A very diverse group of people uh, when you look at what seniors um, are in this country. And I think it's just a time that we, we think about it, we show a lot more respect, and really address some of the needs in, in senior care that we haven't done up enough. Okay, I'll just reference, relative to your comments, interestingly, there was a front-page and lengthy story in the New York Times titled, They Just Dumped Him Like Trash, Nursing Homes Evict Vulnerable Residents. To your point, quite shocking, the research 
Times reporters did as it relates to discharging nursing home residents to make room for COVID patients. But let's go to specifically to the National Commission. So um, explain for our listeners what would be, this would again would be a congressionally mandated National Commission to make recommendations concerning health care reform policies. So what generally do you believe would be its scope and who would participate in it? Well, you know, and I, I think the thing to think about here is, you know, when you, you click through all the things that, that are wrong with the American healthcare system, first off, I, I do need to say one thing that's right is, about, is our caregivers. And our caregivers are great. We've seen that in COVID. People, you know, put their lives on the front lines to take care of people. They just work in a, a system that, that's really broken. And yet our response to it is really pretty interesting. So you start to see the rhetoric about, well, what do we need to do? Well, let's be more transparent with the bills. So let's show people what they can't afford. Let's not surprise them with the bill. Oh, well, by the way, they can't afford it, but let's not surprise them. Um, you know, let's expand coverage. And we all would agree with that. We, we have, what, 30 million people uninsured today, given, given the, uh, the uh, uh, unemployment rates. Um, we talk about doing, you know, we want to do some more things on, on drug pricing. We want to make sure that, you know, we don't discriminate. All those are really nice things to do. But the problem is, is the boat is sinking and it's going the wrong direction. And yet we keep talking about painting the boat and putting more people on the boat. And the idea is we're going down the wrong path. It's not that different than the car industry. Is um, We don't need more hospital beds in this country. We just need to think of things differently. We've learned that in a variety of ways during COVID with telehealth, um, the ability to do more things with technology, to take more care of people at home. And so you ask yourself, what's going to change between now, a year from now, five years from now? And we've been talking for several years about a national commission, and I can't count on two hands probably how many times we've been told it's not the right time. Oh, it's an election. Oh, it's this controversy. Oh, this is happening. And really, um, what we'll find out right now, if we went up to the hill today and say, well, the election's coming up. Let's talk about it after the election. And then after the election, it would be, well, let's talk about it once everybody's in, in, in settled into their, their new roles and everything. And the problem is we keep kicking this can down the road. So who's going to look at and articulate a brand-new health care model we have a long, proud tradition of national commissions, some that have worked very, very well. There's, there's over 100, I believe, over the last 30 years, if I have my numbers right. And so I think you get a bipartisan group of people together, that's a key word, bipartisan, uh, from both sides of the aisle, and you charge them with what we've talked about. We need a new model of health care. We need to think about investing resources into some of the things that we haven't invested in today. We need to provide a much more broader access for people than we ever have before. Uh, we really want to make sure that we spend the right amount of money. We, we've talked before about maybe creating a national target for expenditures. That's not a popular discussion, we know, but you've got to put a cap on so we can reallocate some spending. We do want to make sure we're getting the right value for our dollars. We want to address a lot of services, infant mortality. You know. You talk about infant mortality and the fact that in America we have the infant mortality statistics that we do, that, that is an embarrassment. Mental health, substance abuse, some of the needs in our rural and frontier communities, um, some of the things around graduate med, uh, medical education. 
you know, the idea would be to get a group, um, and as much as we'd want, you know, most of the the, the main characters um, represented here, we also want to, would want a group of people that would say, but we need to to, to go to a uh, you know a different route. We need to articulate a different path because clearly the path that we're on is not sustainable, both economically and for all the things that we've talked about for a while. So. So that's our ideas about our national commission. We've articulated some goals of, about how that might might work, what it might look at, and I think we would give those. Um, it would be time limited, so again, we'd want people to get in and get out, and really lay out kind of a model for the future. And, and the question when people say, "Why do we need that?" The question is, "So what's going to change? What have you seen that's going to change in the next 10 years?" We have value-based purchasing. How has that worked out for us? You know, what what does that done? And uh, so then we'll watch something else. And when you begin to look at the trend, you know, David, clearly we think the only way to change the model is to get a group together and articulate a different model of healthcare. Okay, I appreciate your opening comment on timing. Most recently, first it was impeachment, now it's COVID. And the latest, of course, is now we're into a um, general presidential election campaign. So there, we've heard that over and again. So to, to summarize, let me just add, the idea would be a commission made up of industry, bipartisan uh, uh, individuals in some, but from the industry who would make recommendations to the Congress, and then it would be up to the Congress to accept and forward those uh, in legislation. So just a bit of clarity there. Let me ask you, though, what's been your peer group's interest or receptivity in supporting this idea? Well, we've had uh, we've had a group that, that has been supportive. We've had a number of people sign on to uh, letters we've written to members of Congress. Um, so um, it's a it's a small group. I think uh, we're probably in the twenty-ish, twenty-five um, folks signing on. We have started to continue to build a coalition that we think um, you know would would want to uh, throw their support around this. And I think the more we talk to people, it's like the, the more broader support they're asking us to rally. And I think that's part of the message today is to get more people out supporting it. You know, and I think as we think about this coalition, um, you know, it, it wouldn't be just your traditional, you know, the American Medical Association, the American Hospital Association. We would want people there from, you know, public health, from senior care, from uh, people working in the social determinants of health, the hunger community, housing, and all those sort of other things. And so really that'd be this, this broad base group. I think what's happened, um, and I, I think this is still a fairly foreign concept to people working in healthcare, and the reason is we just have a model in place and we've all grown up in a certain model in a certain way. And when we go to conferences, it's still how much cash you have on hand, you know, it's how many hospitals you have, how much market share, you know, what are you doing in certain areas. And, you know, um, I still think it's still shaking people up to think about, hey, we got to think differently. We got to we got to create a new model. So it's a building coalition. Okay, thank you. Let me just, and it might be my uh, final question, but you've spent time on the Hill. Uh, ProMedica staff has as well. What's been your general impression of the response to date in talking to congressional members and their staffs? You know. Um, Fairly 
I would be very optimistic in that. When we talk to the staff, by and large, we get it. I think the, the legislators we talk to get it. They go, I got it. Uh, the staff usually try to articulate when, when the congressman or the senator leaves the room and tell us why it's not practical. <laughs> and then they kind of rain out of praise. Well, now's not the right time and everything. You know, but I think what, what you see is it's a little bit deer in the headlights. Yeah, but I don't know how we would do it. You know, it's, we don't have any bipartisanship. You know, if you could get a couple right people, maybe you could get this done. And so we get this shaking of the head acknowledgement that, yeah, this is probably the right thing to do. But, you know, I, I think, um, you know, people see the need. They just can't quite see the path to get there. And so, you know, again, as we've said, you know, now is the time. If we, we ever thought about, you know, America's priorities, our collective will, our character, just all the things we've seen in our country over the last few months, um, both with, with, you know, racial injustice and now with COVID and the impact on people, you kind of ask yourself, if we're not going to change it now, especially with all the attention around social determinants, senior care, uh, and public health, are we ever going to change it? And are we going to, at what point do we say, you know, enough is enough, is it 25% of the GDP? Um, you see projections that run out even higher. And so, you know, um, I, I, I'd like to say we're cautiously optimistic. Where we're a little pessimistic, though, it's this, um, this seems uh, the paralysis about how we act and how we move forward. Right. As, as is widely reported, there's a certain uh, dysfunction, polarization on the Hill, and that is, makes this certainly a challenge. Um, I'll give you um, an opportunity to, with my final comment or question, Randy. Could you, if you were speaking to your peer group, what would be your, your comment on trying to win their support in this? Well, I think for a lot of them, I think some of the folks I've talked to, I, I think they would agree to say we work in an industry that's critically important. Um, we, more than ever before, we, we know the importance of, of what we do each and every day. Um, we know that there are a lot of issues that are out there that we as an industry have not addressed, like the social terms of health and now more recently, uh, pointing out again our, our lack of addressing inequities, uh, public health, senior care. And, uh, you know, now is the time. If we don't do it now, when are we going to do it? And, uh, oh, by the way, do we feel uh, really good about being in an industry that causes all these bankruptcies that, that really feeds into to, to cost issues like expectancy uh, differences, uh, quality of care issues, the waste we have in the system? Isn't there a, a, another path here? And I think, you know, uh, candidly, they would say, well, yeah, I agree with all that, but what are we going to do? And I, and I think that's the point here. And it's, um, I think a lot of people, you know, I, I think from, a, from an academic standpoint, they would agree that these are all issues. But, you know, I, hey, I'm paid to run my shop. I don't get paid to do that sort of stuff. And I think um, as much as they would agree, I think the push has to be to uh, not only agree, but to act. I appreciated your phrase, oh, by the way, and I'll finish by saying, oh, by the way, as you are well aware, as are members of uh, the Congress, the Medicare program in the near future is bankrupt relative to reallocating uh, spending. So um, just to make note of that again. So with that, Randy, thank you so much for your time and overview on this uh, subject. 
Uh, I know we'll be at this through uh, the remainder of this Congress or the second session and into the next or the new Congress, the 117th, come next year. So I look forward to continuing that work. So thank you again for this overview. Yep. Great, David. Great to be with you and uh, perfect time for a National Commission of Health. Thank you. You have just heard another edition of the Healthcare Policy Podcast hosted by David Intricasso. To comment on this program or others, to see information about upcoming interviews, to suggest a program topic, or to hear an archive program, please visit our website, thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and please listen again soon.